and gentlemen, coming to you from New York, New York, it's the Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Gianni Russo, Patrick Piccarelli, and Megan Horan. Welcome everybody, it's another week of the Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And we're growing an audience, thanks to all of you, and sharing it, and telling your friends to tune in. And subscribe. Keep subscribing. We need it all. Um, I want to touch on a story, and the, the gentleman's birthday just passed recently, Jan- um, July 27th. His name is Steve Wynn. And I met Steve Wynn when he first came to Nevada. And uh, it was right after I came back from my little trip for 22 months after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, because mm-hmm. I arrived in Vegas, as we mentioned many times, in 1959. Well, well, well uh, Megan, what were you doing in 1959? Oh, you know. <laughs> my parents <laughs> weren't even born yet. <laughs> that, that's okay. right. Huh? Yeah, my parents weren't even born yet, so not Are much for kidding? me. Are you kidding? Yeah, my parents were born oh. in the 60s. Wow. Yeah, 63 and 65. That is wild. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, so there the, wasn't even a thought of me yet. But it's just that the thing that I liked about this guy, because you know, me knowing uh, when I got there, I had the introduction at the Las Vegas Country Club, which is where they do all the business. If you're in the know, downstairs in the card room at the Las Vegas Country Club, which is still there, you would see Mo Dalitz, uh-huh. Perry Thomas. Hank Greenspun, and Perry Thomas ran the Valley Bank. Hank Greenspun owned the Las Vegas Sun newspaper. He had a, a reputation of being a big arms dealer for Israel. And uh, the who's who were there. So now I come back and uh, there's a new kid on the block. And everybody's talking about him. He uh, highly educated. Was and went to uh, University of Pennsylvania, and his family owned a bingo parlor in Maryland. Hmm. And soon after that, his father passed on, and he started running his father's business. His father died in '63, and and Steve came to Vegas in '67, and I remember returning back in 65 and there was a buzz about this guy already but when I finally met him very charismatic very good looking and it seemed that you know they had a plan for him and what I liked most about him was I got to know him and still know him to today and um, he was going to get in the gaming business and he when he first got there Pat went to every dealing school Crap, 21. He wanted to learn the games in and out. Hmm. He wanted jobs. Oh. He took jobs. Nobody knew who he was. Okay, so he didn't come down with a bankroll to open up a hotel. Uh, he had somewhat of a bankroll, but we'll get into that. But what I liked okay. about him is what uh, he came there to learn the business. He had the backing of Mo Dalitz, Maya Lansky, and St. Louis. Everybody wanted this kid. Mm. Why? Well, he was well-educated, squeaky clean, and they just felt his energy as I did. And me, you know, I was living the dream because, you know, I I had so many opportunities there. But, you know, I I came back. I'm living at the Sands Hotel. had my own suite there and never paid for anything. Oh, wow. And, you know, people shake my hand with a $100 bill, $200 bill. I had power to pen in every hotel. And for people don't realize what that is. I could sign anywhere. I get to meet this guy, and he has a vision, and he wants to create one of the oldest gambling, uh, recreate one of the oldest gaming establishments downtown. And he could have had anything he wanted, but he wanted to redo and own the Golden Nugget. Hmm which was one of the diamonds of the hotels 
downtown, but it was run down. So there was a lady called Kitty Rodman who owned Sierra Construction, who was, uh, her husband died, left this business. And the only reason I'm bringing her up, she was enamored with him. And she put up her performance bond to answer your question, Pat. He didn't yeah. come in with the, enough money. He, I, I, know, I really don't know if he even put up a dime of his own money. So Kitty Rodman put up her performance bond for the construction company, which was about $5 million. Oh. And Perry Thomas of the Valley Bank created a line for him, and then people jumped on and contributed into the business for him, and he opened what was called the Golden Nugget again. So what kind of shape was old Vegas in? I mean, was this a real risk? Was everybody going to the Strip, in other words? Was anybody going to old Las Vegas downtown? No, no, and that's why he said he didn't want to get in the competition with the New Sands Hotels and the Dunes. He wanted to take a shot down there. Yeah, but he took a risk that people are going to go down there. Well, you know what he did, though? I mean, long before even me, he had Sinatra do his commercials. And because of Maya and the certain people, Sinatra moved his, uh, his contract down there. He, he performed at the Golden Nugget. And he got Don Rickles to open the Golden Nugget. In fact, I went down with Don Rickles. I was his opening act because <laughs> I wanted to sing at that time. I didn't want to own anything. I was very happy in doing what I was doing, going to L.A. once a week and having my fun. This guy dug in. I mean, yeah. for a year or two before buying this, he actually worked all these jobs. My hat was off to this guy. Huh. He'd worked full shifts, but he knew. Uh, how old was he at the time? Well, I'll tell you exactly how old he was because he's a year older than me. So, you know, in 67, he was, what, uh, 28, 29, 30 years uh, old. That's where he was. Young guy. Yeah. But this is when you come into the Michael Milkins of the world and they created the junk bonds for him. Everybody, including myself, made a few dollars with this guy because the, the, the golden nugget just tore off and uh but his vision and the class of it all i mean put in put in a restaurant called lily langtree i should have known how orchestrated this was because charlie myerson was probably one of the smartest jews in gaming in the world very well recognized from new york city mm -hmm. big book any, any relation to Bess? no <laughs> That was Mr. Well, Mark. I think the same name, you know. I mean, uh -huh. no, 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 not at all. But this guy was in, in stature. I mean, forget how big this guy was, Charlie Myerson. And he was—he actually became a collector for the gaming industry in Nevada for New York, because he had come up. He had the respect from all the five families, and that's when they were running junkets. You know, you put up fifteen hundred dollars and go to JFK, mm -hmm. and there was a junket leaving every Sunday and every Thursday. And you go down on the plane, and you got a free room, and $1,500 in the cage, you paid for nothing. It was a great vacation. Wow. And uh, he, he collected a lot of the money on the junkets. But with all that said, you know, what Steve created in an area that I think, I didn't even know he bought the hotel for not a lot of money, it was ridiculous. But what he did, he amassed a couple of billion dollars right away. And he sold that property, and then he built the Mirage Hotel. Oh. And then he took the Mirage Hotel, and then he built the Bellagio Hotel. And by, and by that time already, I mean, he was a big party man, and uh, he was starting to lose his sight. And I, I can remember the day he took me on a tour because the rumor was he had like tunnel vision, like looking through a straw. Uh -huh. He had no periphery at all. Really? So, uh, and I, I was that close to him. And he and he, he confided in me a lot on my opinions because he loved that. My, even State Street. He, he was a, a frequent visitor of my place. And uh, in fact, I had two of his daughters bar mitzvahs at State Street because he didn't want to show favoritism to the hotels. So my place was big enough to have four or 500 people, and we did it. But um, 
and he was a good friend of me because he remi- he did so much remodeling. He called me up one night, and he said, "Johnny, you remember that bar you admired in, in the Nugget?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "The, the bar stools like the the pine the gold pineapples, and the top of the pineapple held a black patent leather cushion. Everything he did was at such style and taste." He said, "Well, we're going to remodel it, so." It'll be on the sidewalk oh, on Carson <laughs> around 5 o'clock. So come down and get it before somebody else does. He said, so if you have a semi that's down there, we'll just load you up. Oh, wow. That's the kind of guy he was. But now what most people don't realize, this was a public trading company. You can't give an answer away to your friend. <laughs> and the only reason I'm saying it is because that's the kind of guy he was. So I had no use for it. But then I realized next to State Street was a big swimming pool that, uh, place that was going out. You know, those above the pool, Doughboy thing. I mean, big place. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 12,000 square feet or 10,000 square feet. So I immediately took it and built the club around what he gave me. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So we moved into place, and it was a, a, like a, a, a circular bar. You could walk around it. So I put it in the middle of the dance floor. Because m- most men are very shy to approach a woman on the dance floor, and girls dance together. So I felt if you're sitting at the bar and they're dancing right next to you, and it was a big hit, but it was all because of him. Wow. Why I'm saying this and doing this, this groundwork, he, I mean, he amassed a fortune. And then the, the Wynn Hotel and uh, Encore. And he, he built so many properties and was just about to open the Wynn in Boston this summer. And I knew his wife, Elaine, an, an unbelievable lady. And again, it was a public trading company. And with all of us known about the Me Too era, I never thought of Steve needing to force anybody because he was that good looking had all the money in the world Mm. but so supposedly a manicurist that he liked didn't want to go with him and he threatened her that he should lose her job and all that if she didn't make him happy really which I, I couldn't believe it when I heard it it seems out of character yeah I totally but, I can get anybody who wants. I know. But the, I, I know the girl. She's a beautiful girl. But with that knowing, and probably because everybody knew he was married. I think he was a, 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 a citizen. You know, the, the, uh, Renee Brith honored him. Everybody honored this guy. Mm-hmm. And he was very generous to the community. And, I mean, his golf course, uh, the Shenandoah, was insane. I mean, he had butlers on each, you know, spraying you with water before you teed off. Oh, my gosh. Because you should be playing golf, you know, in, in uh, Shadow Creek, rather. Shadow Creek. Mm. But uh, then I really... Now he had the same thing at the, uh, at the Golden Nugget. It's a fine mist over the pool. Oh, yeah. Oh, he had mist yeah. over yeah. the beach chairs. This is this who this oh, guy wow. is. So when you're yeah. laying out there, you it's don't feel hot. it. You don't feel it. You know. Wow. But... And I, I know Elaine, in fact, Elaine was on the set when uh, Brett Ratner was there, who they love Brett, because he's like another golden boy of that, that group. And uh, we were using the Desert Inn Hotel that he gave us the gift, because he bought the Desert Inn Hotel, Steve did, and was going to tear it down. And that's where the win is now, mm-hmm. because he wanted the golf course. It was, so he had the only hotel that was on a golf course. The last one was the Tropicana Hotel, but they didn't sell the hotel. They sold the golf course, and that's where the MGM Grand went on. Oh. So with this, I mean, that's that's the kind of visionary he was. Mm -hmm. And then he opened nightclubs with Dre, and they had beach parties at pools. We never had all that. (laughs) They had DJs every day at the pool. Wow. Only to find out that with this Me Too movement, and then he leaves his wife, Elaine, so when, when did this all happen? When was he accused? Where, well, I'm going to get to this, okay. where this comes to. Because he got accused two years ago. Okay. Now, here's a guy that built a kingdom. 
Okay. He's worth billions and billions of dollars. His artwork in the Bellagio, I mean, he built a gallery and put in maybe 60, 70 million dollars worth of artwork. I mean, that's, I mean, and, and most people, owners, you know, they, they would put slot machines in there rather than have you walk around. Mm-hmm. I mean, his flower arrangements, everything was insane. But he, he, drew, he drew the thing. But the problem was that now he marries this lady in England, leaves his wife for many, many years, who still sat on the board of Wynn Properties or whatever the last was, trading on the New York Stock Exchange. She blows the whistle on him and this girl. And why she did is because they traced the million three, the hush money that they gave this girl. He used the company's money. Oh, jeez. Now, add insult to injury. His wife, who he left, not even for that girl, is sitting on the board, and she's hearing that there's a million three missing that he gave to this girl that nobody knew. Oh, man. So, but now I'm sure, and I haven't seen Elaine since all this happened, I'm sure when you read what went on through this whole fiasco of a trial, because, you know, he had to step down, and in Boston, he wasn't licensed yet. And it was a public trading company, so he had to step down as chairman of the board. He was also, which is interesting, he was the head of the Republican committee, finance committee, and he had to step down from that, which, you know, hurt Trump a lot. Mm. But, and only, you know, to say with all these rumors about Trump and all these guys, these big players. Elaine, I think today, when, when all of this hit, the stock crash, he lost $247 million in a week. Did he ever recoup that, Gianni? No, because he had to step down. The stock, the stock went you know, into the toilet, basically. Well, not into the toilet, but that's, that's the hit he took. Mm-hmm. His wife took the same hit, which she must be saying, why don't I just keep my mouth shut? Not sure. <laughs> and, you know, uh, but my admiration for the guy still goes on. Other than you know why he did this, I don't know, but I no, I was never more impressed of a guy who could have had it all. He had jets, he had everything. And what was that story? Uh, I only know the uh, very few facts. Somebody tore a hole in a fifty million dollar painting. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Oh no. It, yeah. It, it, tell me. About it, that. it was his collection. What I, happened to it? To that painting. Anyway. Oh, they, they, I mean, the, the, was, the painting was uh, fixed, but doesn't have the value anymore. Uh, what, it was an accident. How did, how did yeah. it happen? It was an accident. What happened? An accident. Do you know how, what kind of? Like, did somebody fall I, into I, it? I heard a rumor that I think Elaine threw a, a, a bottle at her or a shoe at it. and I, I don't know. I mean, because I, I wasn't around then because I left that area. Right. But... Uh, I just, I mean, it just, the only reason I, I thought of him because, again, his birthday was just, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I, I, I've been known to call him. So I said to him, he's, he's living on his ship, as he calls it. Hmm. And he said to me, he's, well, you know, I had a, most people in this situation has to downsize. He's, well, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I had to upsize. I says, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, I, I got a boat 50 feet bigger than my last one. He said, I'm down to my last three and a half billion dollars. That's insane. Uh, oh, guy. Yeah, I'm saying to myself. But yeah, he never, we should have a fundraiser for him. He never changed his style. But, you know, I, it's, as we reflect on the, the Me Too, and I, I'm, believe me, I'm not condoning anybody forcing people or... I don't know why anybody has to. I mean, I'm, I'm not a young man or old man. My, my, my life with women, I mean, there's so many women that will give you what you want, 
Why do you take it? And, and we're seeing so many people. Who it's fall. a power thing, man. Well, you know, yeah. but, you know, I mean, Harvey Weinstein, he's been a pig all his life. Everybody knew it. But yeah. here's a guy that's a good looking guy. He's six foot something. Got all the money in the world. I think if he told anybody, you know, I, I want to I see him, you know. And he and I had a, a mutual friend that uh, you, you all know that uh, I spoke of him so many times, Sidney Korshak. A lawyer. Yeah, and uh, I used to sit with Sidney all the time. And I can remember going to the bistro where he sat and he owned it. And uh, he, he himself said that he's never met a guy who was so sharp in the gaming business and everybody backed him. And he could not, and thank God, I'm glad that, you know, Sidney died in 96 because this kid, you know, and most people who are listening don't know who Sidney is. Sidney was called the fixer, the myth, Silk Stock. I mean, he has so many names. And you should get the book. The book is uh, called Super Mob. It's it written by a guy called Gus Russo, who's no relation to me at all. But uh, he was the only attorney for the Teamsters. And why they called him Mr. Fix-It. Every hotel has labor contracts with the Teamsters, whether you are a parking attendant or the culinary union. You had to go through him. And the mob, everybody, whoever, you know, knew what was going on in Vegas, as we all did. Why would a guy like this give this up? Hmm. And he did, obviously. And So what you're saying is if uh, Sidney Korshak was alive today, he wouldn't be handling this well. Well, not only that, I, I think as soon as the rumor started, Sidney would have handled it. You know, uh, okay. there was other ways yeah. of handling this. And I think he could have calmed down Elaine because she respected him too. And because of Sydney, Steve got a lot of favors done in more ways than, where, uh, than you could think with Teamster loans and everything else. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's a crazy, crazy world we live in. But again, you know, sometimes like my mentors, like myself, you listen to them because you believe in them. Mm -hmm. And I think at this point, Steve was by himself. And he made the stupidest move in the nugget just before he sold it. He, was, he admired this kid, Billy Baldwin, who was a poker player. And he had this idea where he wanted to have this poker tournament. And he made Billy Baldwin, the casino manager, who had no background oh. in the casino business, but he knew the numbers. He said, this guy is going to be it. And he was right. He put a guy in. Even, even Charlie Meisen said, Steve, you, you know what you're doing? He said, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> believe me. Wow. And he created one of the biggest poker tournaments in the world. They, it's the World Series of Poker? Yeah. Oh, really? He created it before it went to television. Steve Wynn. I mean, that's, that's the kind of guy. He was such a visionary mm. and created stuff from nothing. And, and millions and millions and millions of dollars. But uh, even with so the, Michael Milken. Michael Milken created the junk bonds around Steve Wynn. And Michael Milken went to jail for five years on the golden nugget issue and never opened his mouth. Hmm. But again, you know, because he took it public, they raised so much money that, I mean, I, I would have to say Steve at one time was worth $10 billion Oh, wow. From a guy so he was, has no connection to any of his hotels anymore? No, which has got to be killing him. Got to be. I know so what is ego. he doing? What does he do? I mean, granted, he's quite all these billions, but this kind of guy, not knowing who he is, but his type of personality, he's got to be doing something to be well, sane. Oh. The thing, the thing that nobody has any jurisdiction over, like Boston said, we can't do this, we can't do that. He, he's connected in Macau. And the that, Chinese? What's that? With the Chinese? Yeah. 
And he still, because again, it's China, mm-hmm. you can't tell them anything. He still has a casino in Macau. That is probably the biggest grossing casino because of his reputation, who he is. Uh, you know what? It, do you know what it's called? Yeah, it, it's called the Win. <laughs> it's really? that's, that, that's catchy. <laughs> well, they gave five casinos out at that time, the licenses, and one one went to um, um, uh, oh, I had to tell you, he had the Venetian. I knew him. he started consumer electronics shows in mm. the, in the sixties. He bought Las Vegas Convention. What's it? Uh, I had it just now. It'll come to you three o'clock in the morning. We'll have another podcast. Adler. <laughs> Adler. Adler. Yeah. In fact, he he had the he had the Venetian Hotel, and the last uh, performer, that major performer, was Michael Jackson. Oh. Yeah. And uh, but there was they have and the Hongs. I don't know really, but you know about the Hongs. Um, Tongs. Yeah. Tongs and the triads. Right. Yeah, I'm born and raised in Chinatown, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, they, yeah. they still control all that. Yeah, sure. And yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking to Steve, you wouldn't think he lost anything? I mean, it's crazy. Wow. That but, is insane. Uh, but, you know, uh, prior to this broadcast, I was curious. and both, We looked up, right? We looked we at looked his up network. We looked what he had, and his net worth is only 3.4 billion. Only. Yeah, poor, Only. Poor, well, that's poor a, guy. Poor, that's a big loss person. from, you know. Right, but still. <laughs> I, I, so I, I is mean, he, he is had he 10 billion. Persona non grata in Vegas? Can he go to Vegas? Does he go to Vegas? He don't even want to go. I don't think I don't he can. I mean, I'm sure, I, mean you know, I, I think he's embarrassed, first of all, that this all came yeah. out. And I, again, I don't know how they're handling the fact that, you know, he took that much money from a public trading company. Yeah, that, that in itself, you can get convicted for something like that. But they didn't uh, indict him or anything. No, I think he just. I, I think. I think maybe because he lost so much money, he just gave that money back to the stockholders. But still, the fact they were betting on this Boston property opening. I mean, you know, they, they've been building it for years, and it was supposedly under his guidance was going to destroy all of the hotels like the Mohegan Suns and all of them that surround it because they're all filled they're, they're all fueled by the people in Boston, Rhode Island. Mm. Now you can go to a, a casino a casino it's built it's up and they, they wouldn't give a license because he was a, involved in a Me Too situation. So, did, so this, is, this is an empty building? No it's no he had to step down Okay. And give up his stock. Oh, so and, somebody else is running it. Oh yeah, no, just, oh no, they, yeah. no that that hotel I was told is two billion dollars in itself to build. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's in fact we should look that up before we open. We talked about the show, but I just wanted to make emphasis of how many people, creative people, and not 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 the people we would suspect. Again, Harvey Weinstein. He's, he looked like a rodent. You know, and I can't see, but again, you know, it's casting couches were around forever, and most people knew that's how you're going to advance in your career. And a very mutual friend of mine for years, or a lot for years, but the four years that I got to know was Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe was abused by everybody, the, the Xanax, and she just felt that that's what she needed to do. I mean, fortunately, as a father, and and. Of, of daughters and, and this shouldn't be going on it's been going on it's, it's great that it's out in the open but it's destroyed so many great people just because of the, you know their desire to have sex but, uh, but what became of his wife Elaine ex-wife. Elaine stepped down as on the she was on the board I mean she's still a stockholder but as you know the stock took a big hit and she's out the same amount of money. She, they lost two hundred forty million oh in a gosh, week. Oh my gosh, that's insane! I, I don't know if she has as much as Steve does, but uh, she's not hurting at all. Believe mm. me. No. She's she, she's still in Vegas. Still lives in Vegas, and, and the nicest lady ever. Always was. She has two daughters. She's a grandmother, 
And if my memory serves me right, one of Steve's daughters married a rabbi. So you can imagine the Jewish community, the embarrassment the of, yeah, of all sure. that is coming out. Mm -hmm. But uh, I drink to you, Steve. I love you, man. Still mm -hmm. do. Great guy. Great guy. And of course, of course, the question is, what about happened to the manicurist? Nobody knows. Well, I know she's got a million something dollars. I don't know what she's oh, got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what's happened? Happened something happened like that in my situation. I had a, a cocktail waitress called Colada Crosley. Her father's a doctor, and uh, she worked for me. She she just was in love with love and Vegas, and right. she wanted to be around Sinatra and everybody. And they were in my club, and Packer out of Australia, one of the biggest cattle guys in the world, known for his money, big player, come in two, three, four million dollars. And I, I never had a problem with, you know, my, my girls at State Street were probably the prettiest women in the world. Because I used to go to all of the showgirl rehearsals mm -hmm. and auditions, like the Lido it's... de Paris, uh, all, all the big chorus lines. And I used to sit in the back for the girls that didn't get picked. Because <laughs> oh they did it every 60 days or, you know. And I would say, listen, why don't you come work for me? Hmm. They said, well, I don't want to serve drinks. I, I never carried a tray in my life. I said, if you want to carry the drink one at a time, I don't care. I just want, because <laughs> I had all the girls in five inch heels, black mesh stockings, a little bodysuit under just a, a short, English cut tuxedo with the tails, uh -huh. and they had a bow tie on. That's it. Huh. And these girls, one being Carlotta Crosley, these plays would come in. And if they said, you know, can I take Carlotta to go gamble tonight? Go ahead, go. Carlotta, you want to go? Go. Well, we never forced them right. to go. She's in a game with him. He gave her a main five because he won so much money that night. He said, this is your cut. He just gave it to her? Gave it to her. Oh, wow. So she says to me, what should I do? I said, what I would do, because Colada, I know you like the action. Work here whenever you want. But invest in a building. She bought an apartment house. Wow. I mean, so these guys were out there, and they didn't, they didn't have to force you mm -hmm. or do anything. They were generous from a generous amount. This, like this girl, like you, Pat just said. Yeah, that this, sounds like. Oh, a what what, what nice is this? Situation. What is this girl doing now? <laughs> Who knows? I hope. Hopefully, she can go gamble it. Right. But you, know, you never know the mentality. Or maybe. But she these girls it. that worked for you in State Street, they must have done very well financially. I would assume. Right? Oh man, they, they, I know that they made two, three hundred dollars a night then. Yeah. You know, and they did well, and not, and they were invited all over the world. And I told them, go ahead and go. I mean, I, I sold so much Louis the Thirteenth. I don't know if everybody knows what Louis the Thirteenth is. At the time, I was buying it for twelve hundred dollars a bottle, mm -hmm. and I created a drink called the Rolls Royce, and it had to do with Cristal champagne, all right. and I had Baccarat snifters on my cigar cart with Louis the 13th. And the girls would come and heat the snifter. What, what, was, the, what was Louis the 13th, cognac? Yeah, it's a cognac. It's, a, okay. it's, it's still, a, now, now a bottle of Louis the 13th is about $5,000. Oh my goodness. But Jeez. Remy Martin built me a cart just for that because of, now picture this, two gorgeous girls come to the table at the end of dinner and said, would anybody like a cigar and a glass of cognac? And they would cut the cigar and wet it and put it in their mouth. And these guys would be going crazy. Oh, my god! And that's everybody's on plastic. So I used to get, for that drink, $110. Oh, my gosh. And why I called that, and even Remy Martin, the, the distributor, said, how'd you come up with the name Rolls-Royce? I said, well, if you could have a drink and afford a drink for $110, you should be driving a Rolls-Royce. <laughs> And I did, and I started. I'd go on. I'd get on the stage. I didn't smoke, but I'd have a, a bottle of Louis the Thirteenth and a snifter. And I said, if you can afford it, let's have a drink later. Oh my God! And I started a chain reaction. Those girls, because you'd asked me what those girls would get, they would cut up a thousand dollars a night. These guys, you know, 
What do they care? Hundred dollar bill tips meant nothing to these guys. That's insane. They'd throw chips on the tray, and that's when you could, you know, cash chips anywhere. So these girls had a lot of chips because to them it was paper money, and a lot of them were players. And the casino gave them the chips. So my girls, to, to answer your question, Pat, yeah, unbelievable money. That's they crazy. Had. Unbelievable money. What's the shelf life? of someone in that business, for, for, you know, for women. Well, I never, oh, oh, oh there is none. I mean, and especially if you're in the union, they have some ladies still in the culinary union as cocktail waitresses. I knew them 40 years ago, and they got the job when they were 18. So there's your answer. They okay. don't quit. You can't fire them. But they should not be putting on those tights. <laughs> oh my God. Eventually. Well, you can't fire them. But see, me, I don't know the shelf life because I was only at State Street for seven years and then I had that accident. My gun went off at the guy's fire. Mm, right. But a shame, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I, I, I really like to talking about this. And Steve, if you ever get to listen to the show, I love you, man. Hmm. It's time to go to the mailbag. All right, let's do it. So, first question we have from Jeff. Jeff asks, well, first he says, the Catholic Church and money laundering, which we've spoken about, is just amazing. How long has it been going on, and is it still happening today? I don't think it'll ever stop. They don't call it money laundering. Mm -hmm. They invest money for you. Got it. And uh, they would never say that. First of all, you can't convict the Catholic Church or what? Once you're in the Vatican, it's their property. (laughs) They have their own police force. Their own laws. Their own laws and everything. There's been so many investigations over the years and scandals. Oh, my God, yeah. Nothing ever goes anywhere. No. Mm. A couple of suicides, though. uh, Oh, yeah, and there's a lot of late-night tea served. (laughs) And you don't wake up from it in the Vatican. (laughs) That one one pope didn't want to go. But you know the interesting thing about that, and, and even now... The, the Catholic Church is the largest single landholder in the world because every school, every church don't pay taxes. Mm. It's a nonprofit organization. So think of all the churches you see, all the schools, and they're the largest single stockholder on any stock exchange. Wow. So I, I, had, I had asked the same question that our listener is asking. In your considered opinion given your history and, and your knowledge, do you think they're still doing it? They're still laundering money? Or do you want to call it that? I don't know. You know, if, if you... I would have to say yes. Okay. I don't want to put you on the spot. I mean, yeah. just, it's just an opinion. Yeah. You don't know. My opinion, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Nick Nitty and I left in the glory days. Hmm. I don't know who took our place. Right. <laughs> so, if someone did. Hmm. But, you know, it's harder now because of surveillance and cameras. I mean, we, we couldn't do what we did. That's true. Um, Jeff also says, I've heard the Catholic Church has its own hitmen. Is this true? That is definitely uh, true. Really? Definitely true. Are you kidding? Assassin's Squad. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Well, I mean, I mean you, you can interpret the Bible a lot of ways. I did for myself. Uh-huh. Just to ease my conscience. You know, it's... Right. You know, it's uh, <laughs> tooth for tooth. So for interpretation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So moving on. We have a question from Dave, and Dave is a sergeant, so I do want to give him credit for that. This sergeant is a question. Where? In the police department? Sergeant. Or in the Army? Uh, no, it's in the police, police department. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So for Gianni and Pat, he says... Law enforcement and gangsters have a tradition for nicknames. Some are loved and some are hated by those that have them. What are some of the funny or even disrespectful nicknames that stuck to cops and gangsters? Did they embrace or shun them? I I didn't know cops had nicknames. Pat, you'd have to answer that part of it. Well, during the early uh, uh, 1900s, there was a cop by the name of Clubber Williams. Obviously, you know, we know the reason why he got that name. Yeah. But, no, not in, in uh, modern police. There's there's derogatory names. Uh, Johnny, do you remember Ray Kelly, the police commissioner we had for like oh, 16 of years? Yeah, I love him. Okay, they called him Popeye because he looked like Popeye. Yeah, he did. Uh-huh. He's got the yeah, yeah, they called him Popeye. He, he's still a friend of mine, you know. Yeah, well, Ray, he was a sergeant when I was a cop in the 
two, three inches tall him. But they called him Popeye back then too, but never to his face, you know. Uh. See, and we we had in the mob, like my nickname was the kid. Right. The only reason we had nicknames because we didn't want to use our names. That's true. So even in a wiretap, I'm so, I'm so, that's why I'm shocked that this is a police sergeant asking us number I, one. Yeah. yeah. Number one, even about police having a nickname, he would know himself. Well, yeah, he had talked, I wanted to keep it brief, but he had spoken in the email about how he had his own nickname, so he was oh, wondering okay, if okay. you if you had heard any that, that no. popped out no, to I, you. I, I, 20 years in the, in the PD, just, you know, derogatory names that were generally attributed to bosses Okay. and, uh, you know, uh, commanders, and they were uh, talked about behind their backs, but no, not really. Mm. Okay, so moving on, we have a question from Gino, and Gino asks, he says, I was wondering if you knew Paul Ceriso, am I saying that right? Paul Ceriso or Frank Vincent from The Sopranos or any other cast members? I know of them. I, I, I was never a fan of The Sopranos. I didn't, I mean, uh, David Chase, who wrote The Sopranos, years ago I met him when he was a writer for Universal Pictures. And that's when we had the 90-minute movies on television. Mm-hmm. They used to be on Thursday nights. And he wrote a movie for me called The Dwarf in the Helium Hat. And I met David. And the reason why I'm bringing it up, he, when he wrote The Sopranos, he asked me to read it. And I did. And he said, what do you think of it? I said, I think it's a joke. Really? He said, what? He said, I said, well, you're asking me my opinion. Why do you, and so he said, why do you think it's a joke? I said, I don't know one mob boss, and Pat, you've been around. I don't know one mob boss. Every time he opens the show, Tony Soprano walks down his driveway in his robe mm. and gets his morning paper. Right, you've said that. That would happen one day. Yeah. And it's no, they, they have people for that. Right. Yeah, hello. Right. But, yeah. Uh, Frank Vincent, funny you should bring his name up. Uh, a book I wrote two books ago, it's about six years, called Undercover Cop, uh, about a state trooper cop who infiltrates a, a northern New Jersey crew. When he started out working undercover, he worked in a health club, we got a load of this, a health club that had a bar, you'll figure that out, in uh, Newark. Uh, it was a bar, uh, lounge type of thing, and p- people used to go and uh, work out and, and go and get blasted and do a lot of coke in a bar. Then ask me how that works. But mm. Frank Vincent was the headline entertainer there for years, and between sets, he, uh, he used to sell grams, grams of coke. I heard that about him, but oh. I, I didn't want yeah, to well, the, this guy Mike, uh, he was there. He saw it. This well, was before he was an actor and became. Let me ask you a question: Was Frank Vincent yeah. a singer, or what? He was a singer. Yeah, he really? was a singer. I told you every yeah. Italian thinks he could sing, make love, and cook. I <laughs> asked, <laughs> uh, I asked uh, Mike of a cop. I said, "Could he sing?" He says, "Well, you know, to, to my tenure, he was, he was pretty good, you know." Yeah. But uh, but that's how that's how he made his money doing a little coke on the side and singing in in a bar and health club. <laughs> wow. Who can figure this stuff out? He was you know, a pharmaceutical singer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so next one. Jasper asks for Gianni, did you ever meet Tony Scotty, and do you have any stories about him? I like Tony Scotty. Oh, so you know. No, Tony Scotty and his brother came out to, came out to L.A. from the record business. And uh, Tony Scotty was in the... If my memory serves me right, and it does. He was the last contract player in the Fox talent when they used to groom young actors mm-hmm. to uh, become actors and send them to dance lessons and all of this. And Tony Scott, a good-looking guy, man. And his brother, his older brother's name was Ben, and he was in the record business. And they, uh, Ben Scotty went to jail later on because of the... He he thought he can come to Beverly Hills and do some of his shenanigans that he was doing in New Jersey. <laughs> and it didn't work. Too many yeah. rats out there. Mm. That's a name from the past, Jesus. Yeah, haven't heard that one in a while. Ben, I, probably the last time I knew the Scotties, I was in my 20s. So there you go. Oh, wow. It's 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not that long ago. No. 
<laughs> of course not. All right, so one last one for tonight. Gino asks for all of us. Um, he's wondering what our favorite Frank Sinatra song is. He asking you too? All of us, yeah. Okay, let's start with the lady. Start with me. I'm sure I know more Sinatra songs than I realize. You know how you know songs, but you don't necessarily know the title or you've heard them. But I think one that sticks out to me, I don't know if it's his original or somebody else's, but it's I'll Be Seeing You. I'll be seeing you. I don't don't know if that's his or Billy. Hey, not bad. (laughs) She's got a great voice, though. I've heard her sing before. She's a good singer. Thanks. I'll be seeing you. Whose song was that? Was it Billy Billy Holiday? Was it? I don't know. Her? Uh, you know, I, you there's know, a couple Jimmy of versions Durant of that. Did a, did a rendition of it. Right, I know there's a bunch yeah, of versions. That, but you're right. Jimmy Durant good. used to sign off his show. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So that, no, that yeah. ended his original tune then. If Jimmy, I would, I would, I would even see Bing Crosby. I could hear Bing Crosby doing it. So we don't know whose yeah, original we know, song no, it was, no. but I know Sinatra did a recording of it, and I love, I love that. So that's your favorite, probably. Okay. But okay. I can think I that have, off the top of my head, yes. I have a CD of uh, uh, I don't know what the what the name of it is. I can hunt for it, but uh, it was Sinatra live celebrating his fiftieth birthday. He's doing his act, and I played this thing a million times. And usually, this is not a song that people come to think of as their favorite Sinatra song. But he did Chicago on this album. And that's my favorite Sinatra song. He he really socked it. My he kind of town, Chicago. Felt it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. My kind of town. Yeah, because no, but there's there's two Chicago tunes out there. People get no, no. My, yeah, my no, kind of town. My kind of town was fabulous. I I uh, <laughs> I'm happy to say I was in the audience that night. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was Caesar's yeah. Power. He was talking about he was an old man. He said I'm 50 years old, and I'm thinking. Wow. Gee, you know, it's, yeah. yeah, he did. It was it was ad libbed. He interacts with the audience a lot. It's a great album. It's I loved it. Yeah, I love that. Oh, Razzmatazz and all. I mean, there's the yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Razzmatazz no. in my yeah. kind of town. Yeah. yeah. So what's yours? Yeah. Well, I have so many. The one I really like is because uh, he he really opened up to me. I I kept my boat in front of the Fontainebleau Hotel, and when he got involved with Budweiser beer, they bought him a boat. Mm. And so I had a lot of time with him, and uh, I went through that whole crisis when Eve, Ava Gardner started cheating on him, and that oh, was the love of his life. Right. And, and he just got a tune, and uh, he started to sing it. He wanted me to listen to it. He started crying, talking about it. Mm. And it's one of my favorite tunes, and when people ask me what's my favorite tune, I sing this. I did. I did it the other night, a cappello, after my book signing, because somebody asked me that question. The press was there, and it was all the way. Oh. And such a sad. Oh, yeah. When you start to relate yeah. to why he sang that song, huh. and it was because of her. Wow. Great way to end. You know, I I, yeah. I I have a complaint here. What? I drank Budweiser. How come nobody bought me a boat? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he had more he had more franchises. A Budweiser? That was a big really? moneymaker for him. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, well, Augie Bush, when I, I, I'll give you a little trivia. Augie Bush, right. I knew Augie Bush really well mm-hmm. through all of this group. So when we did Sinatra, I mean, when we did Sinatra, when we did Striptease, the movie, and we needed a yacht, and it was down there at the time. We shot it in Miami. So I called Augie Bush. I said, Augie, I said, I can make you some money. I know what the budget is. They want, they want a yacht. He said, how long? I said, we're going to shit on the outside as well. We're doing the interiors on the studio. So like the movie business is, the day we're supposed to shoot is a rainstorm. Oh, no. And they, they, they offered him $25,000 a day for the yacht. Only thinking we're going to use it one day. <laughs> so the next shoot, we had to go because they already paid for that. Mm-hmm. So it wound up that we didn't come back to the boat for maybe 10 days. Oh. And, and every time so he, he saw me, he says, man, you're the best. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he thought I did this deliberately for him. He didn't need any money, but he made $250,000. Oh, my god! And the boat just sat there. We didn't do anything with it. That's crazy. It's funny. 
But, but he wound up being in the movie, right? Oh no. No, no, he was never in the no, he would never be in the movie. No, not him, the boat. The boat. Oh, the boat, yeah. Oh, I have the yeah. great scene on that boat. That's where um that's where the the character that um what was his name? Uh Burt Reynolds wants to be with her. And um she dances for him privately. Mm. That's to me more. What's that? Yeah, that's to me more. Demi Moore, yeah. yeah. I mean Demi Moore. I've never seen a woman in better shape in my life while she was doing this. Really? Because she was trained for G.I. Jane at the same time. Oh. I saw Demi Moore in a hotel room right down the block. She came into the city. It was funny. I should say this now, but yeah, everybody's done. Warner Brothers says to me, Johnny, you know everybody in New York. Take her around the clubs. She wants to see the clubs and feel the dancing. So I knew everybody. And when was this? Score. I don't know. When did I make that movie? Jesus. Oh, God. okay. But it was around that time. No, it was, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just before. Okay. Just before that. Yeah. So I told them, I said, listen, you have to have somebody bring me cash. I mean, you know, you got to give tip money and all that. Right. So they said, well, how much money do you think you need? I said, about $1,500, $2,000 a night at least. He said, we'll get you 2000 a night. So now I go because I know everybody. And like even uh, Peter Stringfellow at a club, uh, right here was going every, every nightclub I knew. So I called him. I said, "Listen, I'm going to bring Demi Moore in, but we ain't paying for nothing." So when I walk in, <laughs> you give me the. They have they have their own money. You know, yeah. They, they print the money. Right. I said, "You got to give me the money." He says, "How much you want?" I said, "How much you think she wants to spread it around? Wants to know the girls?" So we'll give you a couple of thousand dollars. So. You were just collecting money from everyone. Oh my gosh! You look like double dipping in a dictionary. You see a picture of Giannis. I give it a new definition. It's a double dipping. There's a picture of me there, just so you understand. Well, I learned that when we did the Godfather. I was selling shaft of soda for a dollar seventy-five a case, served to them for fifteen. You're crazy, but you're smart. Well, I'm trying to make a dollar here and there. Well, we've come to an end of another. I hope you find it as exciting as we do. Definitely. And, hey, I uh, did. Yeah, I mean, it's so informative. Good show. Yeah. yeah. But please tell your friends. We definitely need the subscribers. We want to do this forever and ever and ever. We're having too much fun. Yeah. God bless you all, and tune in next week. Good night, everyone. Good night, Gianni. Good night, Megan. Good night, guys. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. My name is Megan Horan. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit Amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.